0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 10. We are in the last part of the chapter, verses 22 through 32, 22 through 32, I believe. The final 11 verses. I uh, despaired of uh, outlining it any better than that, so I just lumped them all into one point of study, and uh, we'll handle verses 22 through 32 as, as a, a string of, or a long chain of disconnected life principles, and, uh, and let it go at that. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer to ask God the Father to set aside distractions and to humble us under the authority of His truth, shall we pray? most gracious heavenly father we do come before you this morning thankful for your truth thankful for your grace rejoicing father over um, just your your patience towards us day by day moment by moment father great is thy faithfulness we thank you for this moment we thank you for the time we have now to uh, turn our eyes on the truth of your word we ask that you would fix our eyes firmly upon jesus the author and perfecter of our faith we thank you in his most precious and holy name amen All right, let me advance our slideshow forward. This is a new feature I learned of uh, Office 2016. So I can see everything we've done and everything we're going to do. Pick it up there. Chapter 10 concludes with a long chain of disconnected life principles. A long chain of disconnected life principles, and 11 verses that we're going to cover in the subpoints A through J. All right, working our way through. Um, and in these subpoints, then most of them feature the uh, the antithetical parallelism, okay, which is an A but B formula. And and so in the poetry of this, you have a statement that's made, and then there's a but. Because there's an antithetical statement that's made, and there's a contrast that's being drawn, and uh, that's a uh, really common in, in in all these chapters from ten to twenty five, but or ten to twenty four, um, but more so here in this stretch. Okay, in some chapters we have uh, the synthetic parallelism, and in other passages we have the uh, synonymous parallelism, uh, but here it's antithetical. A but B. Eight out of the eleven verses are going to feature this, and we start with uh, blessings in verse 22 it is the blessing of the lord that makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it and so right off the bat here is uh, synthetic and this is not antithetical parallelism we have an a statement and then we have an extension of that a statement okay they're not two parallel synonymous statements it's an a statement where b expands it and so we see it here is it's the lord's Barak? Right, Not our president, but the same vocabulary, Barak, it means to bless. And the Baraka, blessings that we have, like the, the church in Houston, Baraka Church. All right, It is the Baraka, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And the riches, of course, are not limited to uh, currency, not limited to monetary riches. In some cases, the person is, is monetarily poor. They are economically destitute while they are still rich towards God. It can include uh, earthly riches, of course, but it's not limited to earthly riches. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. And this is the difference between when God enriches and when Satan enriches. Satan, you remember, is a counterfeit father. Satan wants to uh, put himself as an alternative. that You can bow down and worship him instead of worshiping God the Father. And he makes provision. He provides for his children all the time. But there's, there's strings attached. There's a price to be paid. There's consequences. There is sorrow that comes with the satanic provision. Not so with God's provision. Not so with God's blessing. When God is bracking us, there is no sorrow mixed in uh, because everything that comes from God is a perfect gift. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes down from above. Uh, from We understand that from the book of James. Alright, so this is what we were looking at. A week ago, I want to move on today and look at verse 23. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. And we have a life principle here as well that I think is important for us to latch on to and to recognize. Pick your sport, wickedness or wisdom. Pick your sport. What is it that amuses you? What is it that entertains you? What is it that you uh, delight in? Alright? And if you don't delight in anything, that's, that's a different issue. But we should delight in the Lord. We should delight in the Word of God. We should not delight in the things of this world. We should certainly should not delight in sin. And the principle that we see here, doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. You know, I mean... When you're confessing your sin, is there, is there grief that comes with that? Is there sorrow that comes with that? Do you have divine viewpoint while you're confessing that, that recognizes that what you have been doing violates the, the integrity of God and His righteous standard? Or was it so much fun, you really love doing it, and you're going to do it again tomorrow? Okay, I think if that's the attitude, I would question whether or not you're truly going, whether you're truly confessing and forsaking. Because it doesn't say admit your sin. It says confess your sin. And, and the, the attitude is to have the same attitude God has with respect to your sin. And so, what is it that we sport with? What is it that we enjoy? And I'm going to use a lot of these terms loosely and interchangeably. Terms like um, enjoy, sport, play, all right, uh, enjoyment, fun. And all of these are wrapped up into the, into the Hebrew concept here of, of laughter the hebrew concept here of 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 what we have in this vocabulary here with uh sport what does it mean to sport if i'm going to sport with you i'm going to play with you i'm going to joke with you right i might just pull your leg why do we have all these idioms all right and there and um every language has them every culture has them this concept of of teasing or joking or sporting or just Funding. I'm having fun with you okay and the idea of playing I'm just playing around and, and in 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 a lot of applications it's, it's out of place right you're wrong for that but in many applications I think it's 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 valid it's it's there God provided it for our blessing we are to have enjoyment in what God supplies we should have enjoyment in the word of God all right and and in I think if you remember in the Life of Christ series, I think there were moments that Jesus was playing with them, playing with his disciples, asking them questions when he already knew the answer, testing them in different regards. All right. You wonder when he was walking across the water <laughs> and, and they thought it was a, a ghost, right? You wonder how much fun did Jesus have doing that? <laughs> you know, thinking, man, I'm gonna spook them. You know, how how fun is this gonna be? All right. So pick your sport, wickedness or wisdom. We don't want wickedness to become a sport. It should not be a sport. It's not entertaining, it's not fun. And if we make it fun then how far down the road are we to hardness of heart? I think it's a hardness of heart application. I think that when, when, when sin becomes so much fun you can't wait to do it again, that, that's a demonstration of you're on that hardness of heart path. So the, we have the verse here It comes back again in the next chapter chapter 14 or not the next chapter but chapter 14 and verse 9 fools mock at sin but among the upright there is goodwill and so uh you see it there too it's not a mocking matter and and maybe the biggest danger we have in this is is the hyper grace crowd that that thinks that well hey all our sins are paid for anyway then who cares and uh, the hyper-grace crowd that perverts grace, that turns grace into lasciviousness, that uh, just pursues a whole antinomian way of life because, well, Jesus died for the sins anyway, I can go to heaven anyway. That's mocking at sin. That is, uh, that's making a mockery of it. And, and as we're going to see shortly in Galatians 6, God is not mocked. He will not be mocked in, uh, in any application. So fools mock at sin. That's uh, Proverbs fourteen nine, Proverbs fifteen twenty one. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight. And so to be willfully ignorant and to enjoy your willful ignorance, to be happy-go-lucky in the sense that you know nothing about the Word of God, you don't want to know anything about the Word of God, because the Word of God is just for grumpy old people that don't want to have fun, or just the Word of God is just for a bunch of, you know, curmudgeons and a bunch of uh, spoil sports, and they, they want to tell me how to live my life. And who are they to tell me how to live my life? all right? Because I'm having fun. And uh, so you have the the folly here reflected in this. And it's a joy to him. It is uh, uh, play. It is sport. It is enjoyable. It's uh, fun, if you will, okay? And and maybe at some point we ought to do a whole doctrine of fun because I think um, it's so abused, People think that fun is the purpose of life. God put us here to have fun. No, that's not why we're here. But you're not wrong for having fun in the process of of pursuing why we're here. And so maybe, uh, yeah, the doctrine of fun could be be fun. We should teach sometime the doctrine of having fun. And I think we can get a lot of it here. Uh, Chapter 26, verses 18 and 19. I think the danger of fun is that not everything in the Christian way of life is fun. You know, the cross wasn't fun. Um, That if we flee from the things that are not fun, then we never do the unpleasant assignments in front of us, and then we diminish the glory of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? (laughs) Okay? Okay and uh no you weren't joking and uh if you, when you try to cover up your your error your sin by saying oh i was just fooling around i was just joking i didn't mean it oh no, you meant it and uh you can't you can't deceive your neighbor and then cover it up as a as a joking manner and uh or joking matter in that aspect all right uh either wickedness or wisdom may provide recreational enjoyment but one of them should not do so For us, we should not find pleasure in the sin. We should not find recreational enjoyment in the sin. We should, however, find recreational enjoyment in the wisdom of God. And we have a pattern that's there. We should find that the things of the Lord, the truth of His Word, should be fun to play with. It should be, um, that's what it means to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Learn a principle. Walk away from a Bible class. Drive home from church. And just play with it. Play with it in your mind. Play with it in your soul. Just think about the verses we studied. Think about the principles we examined. Think about the, 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 the nature of Jesus Christ or whatever it may be. Just play with it. Pick, a, pick an element from the essence box and you know, just play with it. This, this week is sovereignty week. Next week is righteousness week. Next, the week after that will be justice week or omnipotence week or whatever. Pick, a, pick an, an, an attribute from the essence box and spend a week playing with it. Just have fun. Have fun with, with the Word of God in your mind, in your thinking, in your conversation. We'll be able to echo with one another on the things we're playing with. okay? And we'll be able to share with one another. We'll be able to coin an echo with one another in the things that we're playing with in the, in the Scriptures, in the things of the Lord. Life is not all about how much fun we can have. And it's, and again, don't confuse BIOS fun with Zoe fun. The fun that we have in BIOS life with the fun that we should have in the Lord. Let him who rejoice or boast, boast in the Lord. And rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The fun that we have ought to be the spiritual life fun we have as a part of the Zoe life functions, not necessarily the BIOS life functions in, uh, in those things. Okay? sporting playing enjoying the word of god is our privilege sporting playing enjoying the word of god is our privilege you know and if it's fun you play more of it if it's not fun you don't play so much of it all right i mean you do if you're just kind of taking turns and trading off and whatever i understand that in um prefer and defer and in whatever you take turns and your wife enjoys certain things and thinks certain movies are fun and i think that certain movies are fun and she doesn't think they're very fun and there's certain games that that they think are fun and i don't think are fun and nobody in my household plays scrabble with me anymore because it's just not any fun anymore except occasionally okay, fine, I'll play Scrabble. And so if it's my birthday or something special, then, then they will do what's no longer fun for the sake of, of letting me have some fun, okay? Um, and that's what you do. But I think far too often, though, the Bible isn't fun anymore when the, the, the believer's walk has drifted from where it needs to be and it's not fun to be convicted and it's not fun to be to be corrected and it's not fun to be shown that you know you've been conformed to this world because you haven't been transformed by the word of God and that's not fun so hopefully we can identify these things and get back to where it is fun where we are sporting with these things now this concept if we back up to Proverbs chapter 8 this concept um was portrayed earlier in the birth of Jesus Christ and how he played and how he was daily his delight, how he was rejoicing always before him. And in Proverbs 8, 22 and following, 22 through 31, we've got this picture of the incarnation. A picture, um, no, no, not incarnation, the the hypostatic union. Okay? Incarnate means flesh. The word became flesh in the virgin birth. He was not flesh in this chapter. Oh my. I used the wrong expression, that's that's tragic. Um, He's not incarnated until the virgin conceives. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the word, before the word became flesh, was still the word. And and the God-man has been in hypostatic union since he was begotten. Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And today I have begotten thee was not impregnating the virgin. All right. today I have begotten thee was before the foundation of the earth and that's what Proverbs 8 proves to us here so um, in, in verse 22 he possessed me at the beginning of his way before his work of old, this is in the beginning and before any other in the beginning okay before his works of old from everlasting I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there were no depths I was birthed when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was birthed. And so all the vocabulary here is all childbearing terminology. Common terminology throughout the Old Testament for the birthing of a child. Brought forth, brought forth, birthed. And and, and even possessed, we can translate as begat. And I uh, spent quite a bit of time in that chapter defend, uh, defining how kana can be rendered begat if it's in a childbearing context, as this passage clearly is. Now, you get down to verse 30. I was daily his delight. You know, think what a delight it is to have a newborn baby, to have a newborn child, to have new life. What a delight is that, okay? Do You see the pictures that came out in yesterday's email? Cynthia sent the, the photographs of her sister's baby man what a pretty little boy well and, you know i'm looking at this picture thinking man that is that is just a delight to look at the prettiest baby i've seen in a long time i would even include my own babies in that but that would get me in trouble with sharon so i won't go that far but that was a that was a an attractive little boy i liked i liked looking at that picture anyway i even thought about making that a wallpaper for my desktop just so I could stare at that cute little baby well here's the father looking at his son and he is daily his delight playing always before him rejoicing always before him sporting always before him and so there's the baby there's the boy there's the the child and he's toddling around on the floor and he's playing with blocks and he's doing whatever and he's sticking a spoon in his mouth or whatever he's doing all right now the father's not about to get down there and do all that. wouldn't be fun for him, but it's fun watching him do what he's doing, right? You're your grandchildren, you got triplets, and it's kind of fun watching what they do. All right. Playing always before him, playing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men, having my delight in the sons of men. And so it's interesting as God the Father births the human spirit, the human soul, the human nature of Jesus Christ, God the Father births the humanity of Christ. And that humanity of Christ is, is attached to the deity of God the Son forever. Okay? He's hypostatic union from the moment of that birth forever, the God man. And he is delighting in the world, his earth and he has his delight in the sons of men. Why? Because the angels came long before humanity. But humanity is where the son has his delight. And that's the realm of creation that's in his image. Because when Adam is made, he's made in the image of God. And it's the God-man that's making these things. All right? But here he is playing and the son is playing before the father and the father is playing the father is delighting in the son who's playing before him. And this is uh, what we should be focused on in the plan of God. We should be day by day playing in the sight of the father. Delighting in the things that delight the son and delight the father. We should be imitators of this of this prototype, of this pattern that's laid out right here. This is our mandate in the uh, I think in the Adamic mandate to image God. Okay? So, sporting, playing, enjoying the the Word of God is our privilege. Now, these other passages on playing are interesting. And um, even if I take them backwards, that might be the better order on them. But um, now let's just take them. The, I, I put them in that order for a reason, and I kept changing my mind. Judges 16. We'll go ahead and take them in that order. Judges. Judges 16. All right. Joshua judges Ruth. I don't know why Joshua judges Ruth. I wouldn't judge Ruth, but Joshua judges Ruth. Judges 16.25. It so happened when they were in high spirits. (laughs) Okay? What what do they mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. All right, They've been partying, they've been drinking, they've been uh, doing the, what they're doing, what a Philistine will do, and when they were in high spirits, they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us, <laughs> all right, and it's interesting, there's things that amuse you when you're drunk that wouldn't amuse you when you're sober, um, from what I've been told, okay, from books I've read, and, and uh, this is a pattern here and why what amuses us when we're filled with the spirit okay that wouldn't fill, amuse us if we're not filled with the spirit and so they called for samson from the prison and he entertained them he amused them and they made him stand between the pillars and samson said to the boy who was holding his hand let me feel the pillars on which the house rests and that i may lean against them and the house was full of men and women and all were lords of the Philistines all the lords of the Philistines were there about 3000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them now there is so much to teach in this chapter right here there is so much doctrine right here in fact you know you could craft an entire series just on this doctrine of amusement cuz seems to me like this is, this is where a lot of churches are involved with. It's all about amusement. It's all about the entertainment. Let's just keep the people happy. And, and It's not why we're here. It's not to have fun or to be entertained or to be amused. We're not here to tickle ears. Ear ticklers will, will, will uh, or the people that want to have, the, the itchy ear people will, will gather to themselves the ear ticklers. And ear ticklers are perfect for people with itchy ears. But that's not what the church was designed to be. And so, uh, good illustration, I think. And, uh, and we don't want to find our amusement in these things. We don't want to find our amusement in somebody else's misfortune. We don't want to find amusement in a servant of God that's been brought down. There's nothing amusing in that, in, in learning about a pastor that's not a pastor anymore because of some uh, moral failure or some other issue of things that are going on. All right. Then we have, besides Judges 16, we've got Ecclesiastes. I told you we'd be back in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Remember, what is Ecclesiastes? It's Proverbs out of fellowship. <laughs> okay? It's, it's the wisest man in the world who goes carnal and spends prolonged time away from divine viewpoint. And then he puts his, his mind to work in earthly matters without truth, without divine viewpoint. And it's scary. Uh, how folks can do things. I mean, there's some brilliant minds out there that can do some amazing things, and it just it's heartbreaking because you think, man, if you knew the Lord, what could you do for uh, the, the kingdom of God? What could you do for Jesus Christ? All right. And yet, God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. My favorite, 1019. Men prepare meal, a meal for enjoyment. Food can be recreational. We get that. It, you know, yes, it's nutritious. Yes, it keeps us alive. Yes, it sustains life. But shouldn't you have fun with it too? Shouldn't you enjoy what you're eating? Isn't it better? I mean, think about how gracious God was that he gave us taste buds. You know, he could have designed us like cows. We could just go in the backyard and eat grass and whatever. And everything, um, I think, probably just tastes the same to, to a cow. Uh, if I mean i don't know if do they have flavors if um but good God gives us flavors, God gives us aromas, he gives us taste, he gives us these senses so that we because we are designed to be a sensual creation, okay sensuality is not always carnal when we can enjoy what God has provided in the parameters of what he's provided sensuality is a is a glorious thing, so Um, men prepare a meal for enjoyment, okay? And wine makes life merry. There's a design for wine. Not drunkenness, okay? Drunkenness is a sin, but drinking in the purpose of wine to make the heart merry, it's not only Ecclesiastes tells us this, Proverbs tells us this, Psalms tells us this. There's a purpose for wine. It makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything, right? Right? Put that on my business card. This is a this is a total human viewpoint perspective on things. But it communicates a lot of interesting principles connected to what we're dealing with here about having fun. Having fun. It's 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 not a bad thing to have fun, particularly when he supplies us with all good things to enjoy. Enjoy what God has supplied. And enjoy within the parameters of what he designed, and enjoy it. Give him the praise and glory for it. Thank Him for His provision. It's sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. Thank Him for it and enjoy it. Still in Ecclesiastes, over to chapter 11, and verse 9. <laughs> yeah, have fun while you can. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Alright? So have fun while you can. You'll pay a price for it, but have fun while you can because days are coming when you won't be able to do that anymore. All right? You're going to be too old and different things. Yeah. Remove grief and anger from your heart, and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Have fun now, have fun while you can okay and sadly, those verses right there define i think the um what fifty years now the the, the sexual revolution and and every all the aftermath, everything that's followed from the sixties to the seventies to Gen X and millennials and and where we are today have your fun now. Have as much as you can have now. And uh, and, you know put off responsibility and marriage and family and put all that off and we're having fun now. Then we'll settle down later. Yeah. (laughs) And what's the price you're going to pay for that? What are the consequences you're going to pay for that? Personal consequences, societal consequences, national consequences. To me, it's uh extraordinary. All right. Yeah, the prime of life are fleeting. Uh Zechariah chapter eight and verse five. So everyone is clear, I'm not teaching e- ecclesiastes as a model to follow. Okay? I'm teaching that as a model not to follow. Ecclesiastes is the anti doctrine. It's, it's the human viewpoint that the Holy Spirit accurately recorded. All right. Zechariah 8 5. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Ah, here's something to look forward to. The word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. So if you're going to join any of the anti-Zionistic groups that are out there, the BDS groups or anything else, look out. To be anti-Zion is to be anti-Yahweh. He is exceedingly jealous for Zion. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. What a title. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit on the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of age. Now think about this. Think about the freedom that they're going to have and no fear. They're not going to be worried about sitting out on their front porch and what the next drive-by shooting might be like. They're not going to be worried about walking down the street and, and being victimized or being plundered. This is a, a, a provision of blessing here they can look forward to in the millennium. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its the streets. These aren't the gang hoodlums we have today. Okay? This, is, uh, this is where parents are, are not fearful for letting the children get out of sight. And they're not worried about them being across the street at the park and with, you know, they're not worried about the strangers. Okay? This is going to be uh, the, the provision of peace. Let me tell you, this is not the circumstances in Israel today. <laughs> in Israel today they are armed to the teeth and defending themselves and fighting against the terrorists every single day. Anyway there's our expression playing in its streets. The verb is so interesting because it speaks of enjoyment, it speaks of sport, it speaks of, of, of amusement, it speaks of playing, it speaks of entertainment, it speaks of all the things that, that we might just dismiss as being you know, frivolous or, or, or secondary or earthly or whatever. But the Bible puts them into a spiritual context when it comes to God, when it comes to His word. We should be playing in His word. It should amuse us we should we should be we should find things funny because why because he who sits in the heavens laughs we should we it should be the word of God that is our amusement and it can be our amusement there's even sexual applications in uh to the term okay exodus thirty two six exodus thirty two six Moses is up on the mountain and he's getting the the law. And he comes down. And while he's up there for 40 days, how long does it take Israel to fall into idolatry? Not long at all. So Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God. What a stupid statement. (laughs) What a stupid statement. You know, the the one true God is uncreated, unmade. He is self-existent, the eternal I Am. They were introduced to the I Am as the covenant name for, the memorial name for Yahweh. How can you make a God? Make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so there are all kinds of wrong. And they're contrasting a a, a God they, they hope to have with a man they think they're never going to see again. It wasn't the man who brought them out of Egypt. It was God who brought them out of Egypt. The man was his mediator. And so Aaron said to them, you would love to have Aaron with divine viewpoint here just rebuking them, unfortunately, no. He said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. See, this is uh, validation for ear piercing, as as my teenage daughters tried to prove to me. And um, all the people tore off the gold rings which were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And so you get these bits of gold that used to be sitting in ears and noses and everything else. And then they get melted down and merged into a a calf. And this is now your God. All right. Uh, Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and uh, said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. All right. They rose up to play. And that's our term. And uh, they weren't playing Scrabble, all right. I'll just clue you into that. Uh, they sat down. They were at the table for their eating and drinking, and then they left the table to engage in their, um, in their fornication. All right. This is all in the, the uh, custom of the, of the time and custom to customary today as well. Um, backing up a little bit, how about Genesis twenty six eight. Genesis twenty six eight, and uh, remember Genesis twenty six is Isaac repeating the sins of of Abraham. Okay, and it's it's sad as it happens. Abraham made this mistake twice. In chapter twelve, he goes to Egypt and, and lies about his wife and says she's my sister. In uh, chapter 20 he does the same thing again, lies about his wife, says, oh she's my sister. Okay. Well now in, in Genesis 26 what do we see? We see the sins of the father that have been passed to the son. We see sin patterns. There's a reason why it says the sins of the father to the third and the fourth generation. It does pass down. And we have illustrations of this in many passages of Scripture. Um, so here's Isaac falling into the same sin patterns that Abraham fell into and so he lives in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he was afraid to say, she's my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. And it's the same scam that Abraham ran, thinking, well, if, she, if, they think he's, if they think she's my sister, then they'll buy me gifts, they'll give me money, we'll have parties, we'll be invited, they're going to be flattering me to try to score a a, a marriage contract for, for, for Rebekah. You know, if they, if they think she's my wife, well then they know that they can't have her. Uh, they'll just have to kill me and, and, and take her. So it came about when he'd been there a long time that uh, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and he saw, and behold, see what happens when kings look out their windows? He uh, looked out the window and he saw, behold, Isaac was playing with Rebekah or caressing New American Standard renders it caressing, but it's the same verb we've been looking at all morning long. It's the same verb for playing, for amusing. He was amusing her. What was he telling jokes? <laughs> How was he amusing her? Um, anyway, it's the same verb for playing, and, and I don't mind the the, term, the translation of caressing. But uh, but there you go. And this is between a husband and a wife. This is appropriate behavior between a husband and a wife. All right. This is who you should be playing with, not. Everybody else. Alright. So um we have the term there. And then finally, chapter thirty-seven, when Joseph is in the house of Potiphar, <clears throat> and uh Mrs. Potiphar, whatever her name was, Jezebel or whatever, I don't know. We don't know her name. She was definitely a Jezebel type of of, of woman. Um but Mrs. Potiphar as she's described here. She kept uh say verse fourteen, verse nineteen. Oh, that's wrong. Is it chapter thirty-nine? Yeah, it's chapter thirty-nine, I'm sorry. Verse fourteen and verse nineteen. I have to fix that in my notes. And so uh, Mrs. Potiphar um, in 39.7 grabs him and says, lie with me. And he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, uh, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything of the house and he has put all that is, he owns in my charge. You know, the, the maturity of Joseph here is an 18-year-old young man. I think, Wow. How, uh, how impressive, because he's a slave, he's overseas, his parents aren't going to know, his siblings aren't going to know, who's going to know? And uh, well, he's going to know and God's going to know and, and he has the character to uh, to uh, live in his righteousness here. And I think this is marvelous. And so she tries again day after, today, uh, day after day in verse 10, he did not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. And so day after day, and we get lessons there too, if you pass a test, don't get prideful. That test is coming back. (laughs) Don't get prideful. That test is coming back. And it happened one day, uh uh-oh, that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household was there inside. And so she's made extra steps to set him up and extra steps to remove all the witnesses. And so she catches him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. You know, If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But it looks bad. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> it sure looks bad. I mean, you you leave your toga behind as you go running out of there. Um, what does it look like? Well, here's this half naked kid running out of there. Doesn't look good. And so um, she calls to the men while well, she's holding the evidence, the garment in her hand, and she calls to the men and says to them, "See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed." And and so here we have exactly, we have the sport language combined with the sex language and put together in this same context. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and left and went outside, fled and went outside. And so there it is, make sport of me. Verse 17, it should be 14 and 17. Boy, I'm all kinds of wrong there. That dyslexia should be 39, 14 and 17 instead of 37, 14 and 19. All right. So you can correct your own notes and I'll correct mine. And there we have it. So playing, all right? We want to play. We want to play with the Word of God. We want to play with um, the Lord. We want to play with uh, the Father. And when you think about playing with the Lord, think about how intimate that playing can be since we are the bride of Christ. Think about the intimacy we have as we play with, with our Savior, as we play with the Lord. All right. It's not uh, since these are all metaphors anyway for how we cycle doctrine in our thinking. <laughs> Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as we play with Jesus Christ. See. Anyway, we should uh, have this kind of intimacy with our Lord, and I find that uh, I find that special. I'm thankful that we have that here as a part of the as a part of the uh, bride of Christ. Of course. My metaphor does break down yet, because remember, we're not yet married. We're still the virgin espoused bride until the rapture. So, all right, my, my metaphor breaks down there. We're not, we're not playing with Jesus until after the, the wedding supper. All right, back to Proverbs 10. Then. Let's look at our next verse. Verse uh, your temporal fears. What are our temporal fears? What is it we're afraid of? And in wisdom, what are we afraid of? Without wisdom, what are we afraid of? So Proverbs 10, now in verse 24. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. So here's our antithetical parallelism. There's a fear and there's a desire. There's a fear on the one hand, there's a desire on the other hand. There's the wicked that have the fear, There's the righteous. They don't have the fear. Why don't they have the fear? Perfect love casts out all fear. We have righteousness. We're we're identified with Christ. We're living in the Word of God. We have hopes. We have expectations. We have desires. They have fears. We have desires. That's the design. And if you're walking in the Word of God, if you have the divine viewpoint perspective, that lays it right, right out right there. Okay? Monday night I'm talking to a guy that's totally in fear of global warming, totally in fear of, of uh, the atmosphere catching fire. And, and I said to him, I said, well the atmosphere is going to catch fire. The, the atmosphere, the earth, the whole universe is going to catch fire. The entire heavens and the earth are going to be destroyed, there's going to be new heavens and new earth. That's according to Scripture. It does not lie, and does not change. Uh, all of their global warming stuff uh, changes constantly. <laughs> okay. In the 70s it was global c- cooling, then it became global warming, and now it's climate change. And, and, and their, their books are constantly changing. And the things they're afraid of, why are we afraid of? What fear do we have? I don't have any fear. I'm looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. See. So what are our temporal fears and desires? And we need to ask this question. What is it that we're afraid of and why? If The Lord is my shepherd, you know, what do I fear? If God is for me, who can be against me? What do I fear and why? Do I fear for the future or do I smile at the future? The Proverbs 31 lady, she smiles at the future. Why? Why is she not fearful of what her children are going to wear, or what's going to happen down the road? See, it all comes down to our perspective in the Word of God. Are we living in the Word of God? And what I find most heartbreaking about it is, is that there's born again regenerate people who should know better and they fear all the same things the unbelievers fear. Again, it's because they're not transformed by the renewing of their mind. They're not, they're, so they're conformed to this age. And they're living in the same fears that uh, that the unbelievers are living in. And It's just so tragic to me because it's so unnecessary. And so we've got fears on the one hand and some scriptures on this. Job 3 25 and 26, Psalm 34, 4. Oh, there it is, I told you. We're going to see Psalm 34 today. I'm talking to Dan before class, and I couldn't remember. I knew there was a Psalm 34 connection coming up, and it was either in Proverbs or Galatians or Jeremiah or something. <laughs> I knew it was coming up someday. And lo and behold, there it is. Um, Psalm 49, verses 3 through 5, Isaiah eight, twelve. All All those passages dealing with fear. And um, why it is we should have no part. And then the desires. We should have godly desires, God's desires, the desires that are shaped by the word of God. And the legitimate desires. We have the requests which we have received from him. We ask according to his will because those desires are the desires he's shaping within us. So we have Proverbs ten twenty four, Psalm 21, 2, Psalm 37, 4, Psalm 145 and verse 19 and then 1 John 5 verses 14 and 15. All right, let's start with Job. Take a look at these, Job 3. So this is early in the argumentation. Remember, chapters 1 and 2 are the story that leads to the argumentation. Starting in chapter 3, we have Job's lament. He opens his mouth and curses the day of his birth. And then... um, Look at at how he concludes his uh, lament. The chapter ends here with verses 25 and 26. Let's see. So much of this is so gloomy. Um, Why couldn't I have been a miscarriage is what he says. You know, my mother could have miscarried. Verse 20, why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? Who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it more than hidden treasures? You know, if if all you've got to look forward to is the day you die, because that puts an end to all this misery, what are you looking forward to, and why, and what do you fear? Uh, Why is light given to man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? So, if you feel like there's no way out and you're trapped, you're hedged in, and God's the one that did it to you, then uh, you're in good company. You're uh, like-minded here with uh, the grumblings of Job. Okay? The lamentations of Job. And I don't think he's sinned as of yet. The sin comes later. For my groaning comes at the sight of my food, and my cries pour out like water. For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. And this is, uh, this is the circumstances of what happens. And so we get, we get our eyes off the Lord, we start looking at our problems, we start looking at our fear, and then what happens? Then we start dreading what's going to come next. Okay, We go from fear to dread, and what I fear comes upon me. And we start thinking in a pessimistic mode about what's the worst thing that can happen, what's worse than that, and how much worse is it going to get? And then you start to see things, I knew it! I knew it! And you end up with these self-fulfilling prophecies, you know, and you go into a circumstance and you just know, you just know that, you know, something, you know, this this person's a a jerk, and he's going to say something, and then as soon as something comes, it clicks, and yep, fulfills all your expectations. That person's a hater, that person's a racist, that person's a this, or that person's a that. Because you fear that it's going to happen. And so the first little glimpse of something you think might be that, you convince yourself it is that, and here's something worse coming up next. And what I dread falls, befalls me. So I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. But He's commanded to be. That's the thing. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. But believers are commanded to be. We should rest in, in the promises of God. We should be at ease in His faithfulness. We should be quiet to hear His voice. If you're not quiet, how do you hear that still small voice? He says, I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. And so you observe that. And you, if you observe that in your own life, you realize this is something that has to be done away with. We've got to remedy this. We've got to get with the plan of God. We've got to get in the Word of God. Doctrine is supposed to provide stability so that we're not tossed to and fro. We don't want to be in this life of fear. Psalm 34.4 Psalm 34.4 I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. See, notice, there's not, it's not necessarily sinful to have fears, but when you reply, when you respond to your fear in a negative way, it turns into dread and it just cycles into worse and worse places. But when you take your fear directly to Him and say, Lord, deliver me from this, when you're honest before the Lord and say, Lord, I've got these fears, cast them out. Lord, I'm concerned about this. Show me your wisdom. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. That's the, that's the provision. Go to Him in prayer. And He delivered me from all my fears. What I love about this psalm, Psalm 34 is, is when, when He feigned madness before Abimelech. And this is where He's, he's, he's a renegade, he's, uh, and He's got people that are, that are coming to Him, find this interesting as well. There's other malcontents. There's other, the the, the, minist- the uh not the ministry, the uh, administration of Saul. King Saul was such a train wreck as a king. And there were people that were suffering because of his horrible governmental policies. And they found that they were made criminals because of, of King Saul. And, and I think similar things are happening today in our country. And you get these people that are uh, considered deplorables, all right, and, and, and they're just, they're, they're, they're rejected by the government that hates them. And, uh, and so in David's day these deplorables found David. Okay? And I'm going to stop the metaphor there because I'm not trying to say that Donald Trump is David. No, I'm not saying that at all. Okay? But when there is unrighteous government righteous people can be considered criminals. And, uh, and they can be in, in some very tough spots. And they, and thankfully God provided for them and he provided David for them. So when he's feigning madness and, and he just drools all over his beard and he acts like a madman and Abimelech says, do I lack madmen that you brought this one to play the madman in my presence? And it's, it's just a, a, one of the funniest verses in all the Bible and I laugh every time I read it. Um, but this was the, the occasion of David's rescue. And then he's able to go to the Lord in prayer. So I will bless the Lord at all times, I will praise. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. See, his his praise is not only for the Lord's ears. His praise goes to other people's ears as well. The humble have to hear it. They have to hear him praying and they have to hear the answer to prayer. They have to hear the praise that comes after the answer to prayer. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David is, is inviting other people to join him in his rejoicing. Come, share with me all this joy. Join me in this prayer time, right the the The, the woman that lost her coins, she found her coins, and she wanted the people to come and rejoice. The man that lost his sheep found his sheep, and he wanted the people around him to come and rejoice. The father who lost his son, his son came back. he wanted his family to to slay the fatted calf and rejoice. This doctrine is taught three times in in Luke, right? And uh, the older brother didn't want to rejoice. Okay. Well, here he's inviting, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Then what does it say? It says, um, they looked to him and were radiant. Who's the they? They? And their faces will never be ashamed. See, these are the men that, surra- that David had surra- been surrounded by. The people he's inviting to join him in his prayers, the the malcontents. The the, the they're called. Um, they got. There's some interesting descriptions of them if you read in 1 Samuel. All right, and uh, and he because he went through his testing and he led them in that experience. He led them in those prayers. Look at the benefit they received. They looked to, not to David, to Yahweh, to him and were radiant. Man. they see how faithful God is to answer David's prayers. They can engage in a prayer life. God's going to be faithful in their life too. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And so this is David teaching his his students, his disciples, how to pray, how to taste and see that the Lord is good, how to uh, how to depend upon the Lord in times of trouble, how not to fear. All right, because there's the things that we fear, and there's the things that we anticipate. And we should take our fears to the Lord and anticipate that He's going to deal with it. He's going to take care of it. We're not going to dwell on our fears. We're not going to to let the fears turn into dread and turn into things that become worse. All right? And it's not just for us to do so by ourselves. We get to lead this. We get to lead our wives. We get to lead our children. We get to lead our church. We get to lead our brothers and sisters, one another, in in this exercise. All right? And this, this becomes a. It becomes a great joy, I think, in this regard. Psalm, I mean, it goes on. I could read this whole psalm. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, not expecting a child, not expecting a baby believer, not expecting a a young person in Christ. They're not going to feast like I feast or like you feast or what have you, but just let them taste, okay? You got a little toddler, you know, just cut a little bit off there off your plate and give them a taste, right? When when Grandpa gave Quinley her first little taste of of ice cream, (laughs) man, was that fun. The look on her face, the joy, the thrill, the fun, you know, she didn't eat all the ice cream that the rest of us were eating at the table, but, but she got her first taste, and it was fun to watch that first taste. It's the same thing with tasting and seeing the faithfulness of God. Older believers coming alongside younger believers, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to feast, just giving them that that first little taste, haste and see. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You see this? It's beautiful how this thing works. Older believers to younger believers. And what we're seeing now in Galatians 6 in echoing the truth, echoing to one another the doctrine from the Word of God. And then Koinoneo sharing with one another all good things in response to echoing the Word of God. All right, Psalm 49, verses 3 through 5. Psalm of the Sons of Korah, hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth will speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. Why should I fear in the days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me? Why? (laughs) I'm here to praise God. He's he's faithful. I'm here to to digest His truth. I'm to express His word. I'm going to sing His praises. And in days of adversity, I'm not changing. I'm still going to praise Him. I'm still going to sing. I'm still going to worship. Why should I fear? In days of adversity, when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me, even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches, guess what? Their idols are going to let them down. They're going to fear. They're the ones with the fears, trusting in wealth, trusting in riches. Now, we're fearing in the Lord. Why should I fear? If you're adjusted to the truth of the Word of God, you won't have those same fears. Finally, Isaiah 8.12. It is 11 o'clock. I need to stop. Thus says the Lord, thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying you are not to say it is a conspiracy. (laughs) It's a conspiracy. They're all out to get you. Everybody hates you. In regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. If you have the wrong kind of fear, it's because you don't have the right kind of fear. If you're fearing the future, it's because you don't fear the Lord. It's so powerful. We, we need to identify this. All right, well, I'm out of time. We'll pick up on this next week because there are positive desires, and He gives us our desires. And that's not prosperity theology or name it and claim it, wishful thinking. It's the legitimate application of Scriptures and the desires that He provides. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your faithfulness. I thank You for Proverbs. Thank You for all of Your grace, day by day and moment by moment. Teach us these blessings that we might be able to share them. We can, we can echo them too, to others. Father, I just thank you for being faithful in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.